You're listening to a BGE podcast. Friends and family gather round and fire up the barbecue. Let the smoke waft and float, that's what we're gonna do. You can't deny there's nothing like friends and family and food. Don't sit still, pull out your grill, we're gonna have a barbecue. Let's talk about some pork shoulder, pulled pork, pork butt, Boston butt, all kinds of names that it goes by, pork steaks, but we're also going to talk about some great scrapers. Stay tuned. Because if you're looking, you ain't cooking, fire up the barbecue, fire up the barbecue. Welcome to another episode of the Blind Grilling Experience. My name is Chris Peltz. I am the most interesting griller in the world. And I think we've got a pretty good episode for you today. Not giving anything away. Of course, this weekend is the the World Championship Squirrel Cook-Off down in Bentonville, Arkansas, my buddy Nick is going to be throwing it down, and i tell you what. Oh, man. I, them folks are in for a treat. That's all I got to say. They are in for a treat. No doubt about it. Uh, so stay tuned. Next week we'll be giving some results and uh, and how all that went. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Optimistic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But uh, I had a, a few questions come in, and I'm actually doing some research on a grill scraper. So we, we're going to get to the pork butt in just a minute. But I wanted to talk about grill scrapers for a moment as well, because now's the time of year that a lot of folks are thinking about winterizing their grills. Not me. I mean, I, you know, we grill all year round. Our, we, we keep our things going. But I know a lot of folks that you know, hey, it gets cold and, you know, or whatever it is, whatever the situation, they just don't grill throughout the, you know, year round. That's fine. That's all well and good. But sometimes they want to get things cleaned up before they put everything away uh, or close it up for the winter. And we've talked about grill scrapers before, and I've talked about little hacks, you know, a little quick tip. If something happens, you can't find it, you know, grab a piece of Aluminum foil, crumple it up, crumple it up in a ball, and and scrape your grates. You know, it's it's a quick fix until you can get something to do a little bit better. But but it does work. I know some folks don't like aluminum. Sometimes you know maybe you know it it can flake or tear a little bit. But it's not the dangerous or as dangerous as the wire bristle brushes. Now they've come a long way. When it comes to those types of brushes, they've got whether it's a chainmail, whether it's Kevlar, what, no, whatever it is that they're making these great scrapers out of. Sometimes it's a, a wire that is uh, one continuous wire that's looped around and and kind of pigtailed, and so it it doesn't break off like the old standard or old style used to do. Because there's you know the big scare about getting a piece of of wire bristles stuck in your esophagus or, you know, whatever it is. 
And, uh, you know, it's a thing. I mean, it, it's happened to people, and, that, that, uh, and that's, that's a bummer, no doubt about it. And so a lot of folks just want to avoid using those bristles. And, and I get it. I'm, I'm with you. I've got a solid metal scraper for my grates that I use that is, it's kind of, it's uniquely shaped to fit through on the bars of the grates and to scrape them off. Of course, various brands have their own, you know, the Grill Grate brand, uh, I think has their own little scraper as well as their spatula tool that that's really cool for those style of, of grates. But, uh, it, you know, when you talk about just really grilling, scraping the grill after cooks and then really getting it good and cleaned up for the winter, I've actually been looking into the wood scrapers. And there's a few reasons I've been looking into this. First of all, I'm, I'm considering making some, doing large batch and, and really, you know, get, making some wood scrapers uh, for, uh, you know, out in the wood shop for grillers and, uh, and you listeners, you guys, that if you'd be interested. And that would be something that if I ended up doing, you know, it would be probably really, you know, do some prototypes over the winter and then really push it out maybe next, uh, next spring. But I've been researching this because I, I didn't, there's a few things I didn't realize that it, when it when it comes to preparing or setting up these wood scrapers, you, you can find them. Different brands make wood scrapers, whether it's BGE, Big Green Egg, or uh, Weber. What you know, d- different brands have these wood scrapers, and there's some similarities and there's a lot of differences, especially when it comes to any grooves or. Uh, kind of a little shape. Usually there's a little mitered, um, you know, end that would sit down on the grate, gives you a little bit of leverage. And sometimes there's little slits or slots where you would think that the cooking grates would kind of go. And and I I never, I knew that they weren't very big and I figured, you know, you'd kind of wear that down. And, uh, but it, after doing some research, I found out that the intent is for you to get your grill extremely hot, like 600, 700 degrees, and then take that wood scraper and put it on your grill grates and run it, you know, adding a little bit of pressure and, and clean those grill grates, uh, you know, at that high heat while they're really at a high heat. And what you're doing is you're basically burning in a groove to fit your grill in that wood scraper. That's what that's how they're made to work. Now, that sounds great and they work great. They actually do work really well. But the downside to that is if you have more than one grill, uh, you know, it, it it really forms to the one grill. And if, especially if it's a different brand, a different size, uh, you know, so different variables, it's not going to fit exactly, you know, from one grill to the other. It's really going to burn in for those grill grates. Now, for a lot of folks that only have the one grill to begin with, that's going to work great. That'll be fine. And, and they'll really just kind of, uh, 
you know, fold over, kind of, you know, that groove gets war and it will get down not only into uh, on top of those grates, but even down along the sides. And again, they work really well. I do need to do some research about different woods, if there's certain woods that work better, whether it's, a, a you know, using a hardwood or something a little bit softer, uh, what type of hardwood is going to work well. Uh, you know, so I, I got some research to do. I'm, I'm going to look, be looking into this a little bit more, but I'm definitely intrigued and, and want to, uh, you know, take on this project and as well as some other things. I mean, I've done some other things. We make handles for the big green egg custom handles. Uh, and so that's something that we've been doing for, uh, for folks. And in fact, we, we sell those at, uh, they, they may, they may be out. I have to see if they need to order some more over at pits and grills, but we, we sell some custom handles for the big green egg, whether it's the smaller four inch for the medium smalls and mini maxes or, it, the uh, the nine inch for the large extra large, so uh, so that's that's something cool that I really like making. I enjoy doing that. My wife usually laser engraves either you know uh, the pits and grills logo. She'll leave them blank and then give customers options for uh, customizing the handle for themselves. You know I've got a blind grilling handle on my egg, and so you know just little things like that. Uh, that are that are pretty neat. We've got some pictures, I think, on our Instagram uh, that, uh, man, I'm trying to think, at least back in the spring, if not even last year, where we did some handles and uh, and got some pictures taken and put up on the Instagram. So uh, there, there's there's that. So we're definitely doing some work. I got other work that I'm doing out in the wood shop, but I try to do things that are food related. I, there are exceptions to that, but I try to do things that are food related when it comes to all those things and, uh, you know, uh, try to expand my repertoire. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes, you know, but, uh, you guys got something in mind. If there's anybody out there that, uh, is, you know, interested in that, shoot me an email info at blindgrilling.com. And maybe you got some ideas, something you you know, something that I, I might tinker around with and try to make out in the workshop. And uh, yeah, I'm always I'm always into something, you know. Uh, always, you know, uh, <laughs> like I said last time, always <laughs> testing out and trying new hobbies and new things, and uh, it it's all kinds of fun. And, and in fact, looking in into and researching for you know the the possibility of a hobbies podcast. I came across the uh, United States Association of Blind Athletes, which I didn't even know was a thing, which is awesome. Um, you know, when it comes to you know downhill skiers, when it comes to go ball, I think is what it's called, um, and and some other things. I mean, all kinds of of activities and sports that uh, that uh, I wasn't aware of for the blind or visually impaired. I mean, a lot, there's some that I was, of course, there's some things like go ball. I never even heard of to begin with, uh, let alone, you know, knew that it was something for, you know, for the blind or visually impaired. So all oh, that's pretty cool. And, uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm getting a little overwhelmed with it, to be honest with you, you know, and you look into some of these things. I don't know if they would, kind of go beyond hobbies 
maybe you know when you start talking about athletes i i, I don't want to put them in a in a hobbyist type uh category necessarily i don't want to be insulting to these people because i mean they're putting yeah i mean they're they're some of you know kind of livelihoods right i mean they're putting so much investing time and energy into these things that that i don't know if you could call them hobbies <laughs> so um you know but uh which which is great great for them but i know there's a lot of folks out there that you know, are wondering, what can I do? You know, I, I used to do this, I used to do that. And I, I don't know, you know, how to do that anymore. And, and they're looking for other things. And, and, and sometimes you don't have to look for other things, but, you know, it, it really just depends. It depends on, I think, your skill level, it, it, on, uh, uh, you know, what you're willing to try and how much effort you're willing to put into it. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into all that for sure, and grilling is no exception, right? I mean, cooking. While we've we've got to eat, it's one of those things that, um, you know, uh, we I love to do. A lot of folks love to do, love to eat, right, and love to cook, and and so they they want to do that, and and I definitely have made it a hobby, uh, and you know, while it's something I do for a livelihood in in one respect. It is definitely I I would call it a hobby because of the, um, the the playing around that I do with it is more hobbyist type because I'm not all in with the competitions while I do some big green egg competitions some local things here, um, you know in this area not traveling anymore, um, you know so it, it's more more hobbyist than. Uh, maybe even enthusiast, but uh, not competitive. Uh, not a barbecue athlete <laughs> by any means. <laughs> oh man! But uh, it, it, speaking speaking of uh, love and food, though, I did want to uh, remind folks. I did put a link out on both our Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com/slash/blindgrilling, you can find our Facebook page, uh, our Facebook group. Blind Grilling Experience, if you want to join us there, send us a request to join that group, Blind Grilling Experience. But I posted a link to a podcast that I was on entitled Food Tips uh, by J.J. Jackson. Food Tips, Basics and Beyond by J.J. Jackson. And it's uh, I, he does a really good job. He's a radio uh, guy. I mean, it, that was his career for years was radio and I think it kind of shines through in his podcast, uh, all the editing, everything he does, really kind of jealous about all that. But uh, he, he's really good at what he does, and I really appreciate him having me on and uh, in, in the interview that he did. So you guys can go and check out Food Tips, Basics and Beyond uh, by J.J. Jackson on, on anywhere you get your podcast. Um, and uh, I think you can like it. I think you guys will like uh, what he's got going on. He usually offers various tips, uh, things kind of like we used to do on the Quick Tip Tuesday on the YouTube channel. And so, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've learned a few things, and I think you guys would too um, as well if you check it out. But we had a question come in about pork butt and, and ask if I've done a program. And I know I've talked about pork butt, uh, pork shoulder, right? I mean, they, when you talk about pulled pork, Boston butt, um, you're talking about the front shoulder of the pig, the rear 
leg is the ham. The front shoulder, you know, while it, and I forgot, I was going to double check and I don't want to, I, I say enough things that are wrong um, as it is, I guess. So I don't remember why they call it a butt um, when it comes from the front shoulder. I, I used to know there is some reasoning there. There's something about it, but uh, I've right now I've just completely drawn a blank on it. But with that said, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, you, you know, you've got your your pork shoulder, and from the pork shoulder, you you can have pork steaks, you can have, uh, you know, Boston butt, bone in pork shoulder or Boston butt. Uh, there's a lot of you know the the barbecue competitions usually do pulled pork or they will do you know a a pork shoulder Boston butt uh, as part of their competition that they do their turn-ins. And, and there are certain sections because it's a couple of different muscles that make up that pork shoulder with that, usually that, uh, that shoulder blade state, you know, when you get that bone in, it's right there and just about in the middle of it. And I, I can't break it down like a lot of folks can, but, but there's a, a couple of different muscles that make this chunk of meat up. And usually we get them about seven to nine pounds. Uh, But one of the muscles they refer to is the money muscle. And the money muscle is really what the barbecue competition guys are going for. It's one of the more tender pieces. It's not the long stringy strands when you start to to, uh, peel or pull the pork, when you know, if you're doing the old style, somebody got the gloves on, they're pulling the pork, you know, strip stripping it down. You know, there's chopped, uh, but in essence, that money muscle is almost like the filet mignon. In fact, for beef, it's called the clod tender uh, or the terrace major. I believe is is another name for it. Sometimes in restaurants, you'll see a petite steak, and it is usually that shoulder chunk of meat. Uh, it's it's kind of small, and it's it's kind of a hidden gem of steaks because it can be as, as tender as a filet mignon and a little bit more beefier flavor. It's just really good. A reverse sear on that thing is, is amazing. And so Claude Tender, Terrace Major, or... Um, uh, Oh, um, you know, but or petite steaks. That's basically the cut of meat that they're talking about uh, from the beef. But on the pork, with the pork shoulder, you've got that money muscle that is the more tender part of that. And that's really what the competition guys are trying to really pay attention to, watch their temps, and, you know, in their turn in box, make sure that that's going to be the the part that is going to be, you know, tasted that that's where it's at. That's why they call it the money muscle. Uh, you know, cause that's, it's, it's money right there. If when you nail it, but one of the biggest questions that we get is just how to cook. Right. And, and I'm not going to be going through competition cook here. I'm just going to talk about, you know, about the cook as a whole. Generally, there's not much trimming that needs to be done. You know, if you're you backyard cooking, you know, you're making some pulled pork for uh, the weekend for your family and friends, something like that. You know, it's kind of like brisket. 
uh, when it comes to that, the 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 trimming is not as important or vital when you're, um, you know, doing it at home, uh, you know, and you're not in a large restaurant environment where you're having to do, you know, 30, 40, 50 pork butts and you're trying to make sure everything is good. And plus you're using those trimmings for, you know, other things like sausages and, 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 uh, and suet for, uh, for burger, or whatever it is. And so the trimming isn't nearly as important. Sometimes we'll trim some of that fat off. Uh, my buddy Bruce down in Louisiana, who's been on the podcast in times past, uh, he, you know, he'll trim that fat off and make cracklings with that fat which is is amazing. So there, there's lots of things you can do with this with a Boston butt or pork shoulder. Uh, you know, when people talk about pork steaks, that's basically a pork shoulder that's been sliced into these huge three-quarter to one-inch slabs of, of meat, kind of like a steak, only it's from the pork, uh, from the pork shoulder, and they grill it, right? They'll grill it, sometimes reverse sear it, you know, bring it up to 140, 145 degrees internal temp, and uh, and and serve it. You know, it, it's good to go. But a lot of folks, when you think of the Boston butt, they're thinking about pulled pork or chopped pork, and that's that's where uh, the the questions come in, and that's where you get the long cooks that people are wanting to do. Now, Again, like the brisket, I'm not doing these 12 to 20 hour cooks like a lot of guys are doing, you know, at 225 to 250 degrees for your pit temp. I'm my my pits at 275, and in the process for me, as far as the cook itself, we'll we'll get to whether brining, marinating, seasoning in 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 just a minute. But understand, first of all, you don't have to really worry about the trim. The fat's going to just be flavor. It's going to render down. It'll help keep it moist. It's going to be great uh, and help keep you from drying it out. But when it comes to the cook itself, you're going to be doing a 275 degrees indirect cook. And the first four hours is unwrapped. After four hours, you're going to wrap it up, put it back on, put a probe in it, and bring it up to 200 degrees internal temp, and you can go as high as 205, you know, 206 if you want. Uh, but really, once it hits 200, I find that uh, it's it's pretty much ready to take off the smoker, let it rest before you pull or chop it up, you know, for for sandwiches or whatever it is you're going to do with it. You know, pulled pork nachos, what all all those great things that you can do with pulled pork. Uh, and so, you know, at 275, and, and I know some guys that do it at 300, I do it at 275, and, you know, it's a seven-hour cook, right? Give it an hour to rest, so eight hours, you can generally be done with a good seven to nine-pound pork shoulder. Uh, there's a few little variables, you know, if you want to, you know, the more time you have to rest, if you can let it rest in a cooler or Cambro or something like that for you know, two hours or at least give yourself an extra two hours. That way, if you have another extra hour of cook time that you weren't really planning on because it took a little longer for one reason or another, then uh, you still got an hour of rest uh, that, you know, and, and everything is good. But I also wanted to get into the difference between um, brining and, and marinating. And there's... It, the the differences are a little subtle 
And intent, I think, is really where the biggest difference comes in, in, in from my understanding of all this. Because ultimately, what you're doing is you're putting a piece of meat in a liquid, right? Whether it's a marinade or a brine. And so some people look at it and say, you know, think there's really no difference. Well, here's really the difference. The, the brine is intended to infuse, to, to draw out, um, uh, you know, that salt and really get in and penetrate. It kind of, it, it, it works by kind of drawing out certain moistures, uh, opening up the pores, you know, of that meat and, and the, um, and the, the fibers and, and allowing it to then draw in the seasonings that you've put in the brine, whether it is some little bit of sugar, some of your spices and herbs and things like that. And the, it's, it works that way with chicken as well. And, and because it's a water base and you're, it's usually got quite a bit of salt to it, it helps for that chunk of meat, whether it's chicken or pork, to uh, draw in a lot of moisture and hold it for the cook and help keep it moist. Uh, and so the the brining is really, you know, for that aspect of getting those herbs and stuff deep into the meat and getting a lot of that moisture in and using that salt as that transfer. Whereas marinade is almost exclusively all about the flavor. And it's a, a sauce in and of itself. It's not just seasonings in water, salt in water. You know, it is a, a flavor in and of itself. With that said, when it comes to pulled pork, I don't know what I would qualify this, but I usually have, I get a big bowl and I put my, uh, my, my Boston butt in this big bowl and I cover it in apple juice. I, I don't know if <laughs> that's a brine or a marinade, to be honest with you, but that's what I do. When it comes to my pulled pork, I'll let it soak overnight in apple juice. And, and actually, there was a, a YouTuber who experimented with sweet tea because there are some sweet tea brines out there. There's a, there's a difference between what uh, the YouTuber did on, the, on the, their YouTube channel and the sweet tea brines that I'm familiar with, such as from Lane's Barbecue, this YouTuber just put a Boston bud in a Cambro and filled it with sweet tea and let it set overnight just in sweet tea. And when they pulled it out, they, they weren't impressed with the color at all. They seasoned it up, they cooked it, the cook came out fine. But when they were eating it, they commented that there was kind of this weird you know, tea aftertaste that they didn't find pleasant at all. And I, I can, I, I get that. I get that. The sweet tea brines though, that you're going to find from someone like Lane's barbecue isn't just sweet tea, right? I mean, it, you, you've got, you're going to have your, your herbs and your other seasonings and things that, that you would traditionally find in a brine in addition to, you know, the, the idea of the, of the sweet tea. And so I, using that in times past, I didn't have that aftertaste. And I'm a tea drinker, uh, and maybe that's why I didn't taste it. Maybe it wasn't familiar to me. I love tea, though. I, I drink unsweet 
tea um, and, and, you know, not even sweet tea. I just drink unsweet tea and, and love it. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting way to go that folks that will do it in, uh, root beer and, and Dr. Pepper and Coke, uh, various sodas, right? People will marinate, uh, pork in, uh, as well. And, and so there, there's all kinds of things that you can do. Uh, to try and add flavor and moisture to uh, to your pork butt, depending on your grill, whether or not it, you know how necessary it may or may not be. These ceramic grills do so well when it comes to moisture and, and really holding in the moisture and, and helping the meat retain moisture. That uh, I, you know, uh, brining isn't as vital or important for the cooks that I do anyway. But when it comes to the pork butt, I use I really love the apple. I, I use apple wood. I have a spicy apple seasoning that uh, I I love by Simply Marvelous that's sold at Pits and Grills. In fact, you can go to pitsandgrills.com and uh, you probably find it there online on their online store. And it, it, it's an awesome rub. They have a spicy apple and they've got the regular. I love the spicy apple because it's not overpowering, not too much heat. It's still got that apple and that sweetness, but it's just a really good rub for for pulled pork. Plus, soaking in that apple juice overnight. I just think it's a great combination with the apple wood for smoke uh, on the charcoal as well. And so uh, that's what we'll do overnight. Now, again, you can brine it if you want in something else, or uh, you know, it, at the very least. You take it out of its packaging in about three hours in the refrigerator. You know, put your rub or your se- whatever seasoning you're going to put on it and let it set in the fridge for, you know, two hours. Uh, you know, if you have time, if you don't, it's it, no big deal. But if you do, you know, let it let that rub kind of, uh, you know, have a chance to really you know, work its way uh, a little bit into that. Because that's a thick, thick cut of meat. Right. I mean, it, it's going to take a lot to get that seasoning down in there. And so, uh, you know, once, you, once you've done that and you've got your grill set up for an indirect cook, 275 degrees is my recommendation. And usually after four hours, you're, you've just passed the stall at around 165 to 170 degrees internal temp. Uh, if it's a little bit lower temp, maybe it'll take a little longer. But uh, you know, I'm I, my cooks have been really consistent enough that I don't even have a meat probe in for the first four hours. After four hours, I wrap it, put you know, put the probe in it, wrap it up, and put it back on. And, and now in the wrapping, there's another couple of things that you can do. You can just wrap it in foil, put it back on the grill, or you could put that in a aluminum pan. Add a little bit more, you know, whatever kind of, you know, if you marinade that you had, whether it was, uh, you know, if, if you were brave enough to try the soda or the apple juice, put a little bit of that in the pan with some butter and cover it, uh, you know, tight with the foil, put it back on and, and, you know, with a probe in it and bring that meat up to 200 degrees or just over. And it should be probe tender, ready to pull and uh, or chop however you like to serve that, and it should be ready to go. But you know, it, it's it's not a difficult piece of meat to to cook. 
But the biggest thing is just really trying to find the best flavors, the flavors that you like. And there's so many options out there. You know, if you're one that likes to make your own, more power to you. DB180 is a great brand. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, the Simply Marvelous has that spicy apple that we love. Heath Riles has an awesome, uh, you know, pork rub. Um, you know, Cosmo has a bunch. There's just just a plethora of seasonings and rubs that are out there. And so, you know, you can play around with it and find something that you like and, and, and go with it. And don't, don't be afraid to mix and match some of these rubs and seasonings, even from different brands, because sometimes, you know, putting those things together is, you know, you'll find that's the great best combination, you know, for your taste, what you like. And, uh, and, and I think you guys would enjoy that for sure. You know, the question is whether or not, you know, or how much smoke you're going to get. And again, you can change it up and try to use a wood that will complement the seasonings. You know, pecan wood complements a lot of seasonings. But again, if you're using, you know, some apple in your seasoning, then use an apple wood. You know, if you're going with a peach kind of profile, then, you know, use some peach wood. Uh, so there's lots of options for you. Uh, you got the blends when, if you're on a pellet cooker, uh, you know, you can really use those fruit blends or a cherry wood or, you know, something like that. So, so the options are just, uh, you know, innumerable. I mean, there's so many options, but one thing in the end you want is something edible that tastes amazing. And you're not only thrilled to eat, but to share it with others. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, I think I can give you, you know, with what we've said, a really good base and place to start when it comes to pork uh, at Boston, but when it comes to, you know, whether, you know, the wood for flavoring, the seasoning, whether you want to marinate it, because if you're worried about it drying out uh, or, you know, brine it, if you're worried about drying out or, you know, if you want to do some type of marinate it, you can inject it. And I didn't even talk about that. That's something that uh, I think a lot of folks, the competition guys do it a lot. They get that uh, that injection. They'll take that marinade and they'll you know get it in that injection needle way down inside that meat and get it um, you know really well flavored all throughout. And so injections are a good way to go as well. And, and that's something we probably need to talk about on, on another time is the various injectors that are out there. There's some pistol grip injectors that I really like and love, a little bit more mechanical. And, and you know, once you figure them out and understand how they work, they're, they're awesome. Uh, you know, and, and some of them are similar to like a caulking gun uh, for, you know, if you've ever caulked windows or, you know, in a bathroom around the bathtub or something like that. Um, you know, running a cock and a cocking gun. Uh, there's there's some injection guns that are similar to that that are easy to use, easy to take apart and put back together. Once you figure it out, once you know how they work, they're easy. Sometimes it's a little complicated to figure them out at first, but uh, you guys are good. You guys are good and can figure it out no problem. Uh, but yeah, injecting is another good way to go. Uh, but you, you know, that's going to be more personal preference while all of it, I guess, in one sense is when it comes to the cook, I, again, I, I like that 275 to 300 degrees, you know, I'm at 275 degrees, you know, four hours, wrap it up, throw it back on with a probe on in it 
and uh, bring it up to 200 degrees and, and let it rest for an hour and, and chop or pull and, and serve. So, you know, uh, timing has usually been around that seven hour, seven, seven and a half hour mark, uh, give or take 30 minutes to an hour either way. But, um, I don't know the last time I've ever gone over eight hours on a cook of a Boston butt. Um, but then, you know, if another hour to rest, so that, you know, that would be a nine hour cook. So I hope that helps folks who have been interested and wanting to know about pulled pork, kind of what we do and, uh, you know, why we've, we've talked about it in passing and, you know, and, and, uh, other episodes, I thought we'd really take this episode to do a little bit deeper dive into it, uh, and mention it a little bit more, um, and uh, let me know how it turns out. You guys, if you guys give it a try, info at blindgrilling.com. Friends and family guys. That's our email address. We love hearing from you guys as always. Check out our website, blindgrilling.com. Email info at blindgrilling.com. Check out our Facebook group, Blind Grilling Experience. Until next time, remember if you're looking, you ain't. Barbecue keeps us together when life wants to tear us apart. Barbecue, no matter the weather, under the sun or the stars. Fire is burning, the world keeps turning. Don't worry what you gotta do. Cause if you're looking, you ain't cooking. Fire up the barbecue. Fire up the barbecue.